Well, y'all, last week we talked about how uh, God wants to take every single one of us on a spiritual journey. And it actually can be broken down into three steps. And every person in this room today will find yourself somewhere in these three steps. And the first one was, you got to know God. And I'm not just talking about knowing him mentally by like memorizing scripture or anything like that. I'm actually talking about knowing him intimately and relationally. Because you see, God's not like just some far off, like disconnected power. He's actually like the perfect father. And he wants to make his home in you and he wants to make his home with you. And when you open yourself to that relationship, his power and his presence show up in your life, but only whenever you know him relationally. He becomes real to you, which then leads you into the next step, which is find freedom. A lot of times we like to get these two out of order. Like we think we have to get ourselves cleaned up first before we know God, but it actually happens. You got to know God first. And because you know God, that's when you find freedom. Because all of us have those things in our lives, you know, that kind of keep us from being our best. And I bet you don't even have to think that hard to figure out what that is. It probably just like popped in your, in your mind like that, right? And you wonder if you're ever going to get over it. Like if you're ever going to get over that addiction, that sin, that thing that you just keep doing, yet you hate. And when it's over, you're like, why did I do that? Why? Well, the truth is God wants you to live in freedom and he's given you the power to do that. And one of the best ways to discover this freedom is in a group which we call small groups here at No Limits. You see, the relationships you, you uh, build with other believers in these small groups will help you overcome the things that you've been struggling with for a long time. You may just need someone to just like come alongside you and to be on your team, because I don't know if you've noticed, but it's kind of hard to find people that'll walk alongside you in those hard things of life. But in small groups, that's the purpose of it. That's what you're going to find in small groups. But you don't stop here. You don't just like step one, step two, I'm done. Because the first two steps are about you and they're very important and you have to get them done. But we also all need to move on to step three, which is when our life starts impacting others. Step three is you discover your purpose. You see, because God's put a spiritual gift, a plan, a purpose for your life, every single life in here. And the plan existed before you were even born. How cool is that? He didn't create you and then like wonder, hmm, what am I going to do with Carrie? He's awfully loud you know, what am I going to do with John? He's awfully like rough around the edges, right? What, what am I going to do with, with the other John who's also rough around the edges? Is this a John thing? And y'all are like <laughs> holding up the corners of the church back there. <laughs> so he already knew. He already knew what you were going to do before you were born. And everyone has a specific assignment and everyone's life matters in a big way. But unfortunately, nine out of 10 Christians, get this, they never discover their purpose. It's a tragedy that they live kind of like their whole life without really knowing what their life was supposed to be about. But this doesn't have to be you. Every single person in here can know your purpose because it turns out that finding your purpose isn't really that hard. It's not like some equation that'll never be solved. It's not something that you have to go on a treasure hunt to find. It's actually simple and all of us have the same purpose. We just carry it out a little bit differently. And the ultimate purpose for your life is to make a difference. And you know you're living this out when you go to bed, to bed at night and say, I did something that matters. Like, I made an impact on somebody else's life today. You see, God has hardwired you to live your life for others. This is why you feel so fulfilled whenever you actually push past that inconvenience and help somebody that needs your help. You're like, wow, that was great. This is why we serve at church every Sunday. I mean, why else would somebody show up early to fix y'all coffee? And why would they stay late to clean up the toilet after you've used it? Because it brings fulfillment. It brings purpose to serve other people. Actually, Mother Teresa said it really well. She said, a life not lived for others is not a life. 
And here's how Jesus said it back in the day. John 15, 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. You see, a tree bears fruit not for its own enjoyment. At least I've never seen an apple tree eating an apple. But a tree bears fruit for the enjoyment of everybody who encounters its presence. And this is an exact representation of what living your best life looks like. In other words, going to church doesn't make you a Christian, but providing enjoyment to those around you, like that's what makes you a true disciple of Jesus. And the Father's glorified by this kind of life. And although that's like a good enough reason to live this kind of life in its own, I mean, to glorify God, that's a pretty high reason. It's not just for God's benefit. It's actually for yours. Let's keep reading. It says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. So it's funny, you think like when you do things for others, it's for their benefit. But it turns out you get a benefit too. And it's called joy. Who doesn't want that? So if you're having a joy problem, there's one question that you need to ask yourself. Is my life all about me? And if it is, you just flip it around and start living your life for others. And the joy will come up. And don't get messed up on this. It's really not that you think like less of yourself, allowing yourself to get like walked all over and taken advantage of and things like that. No, you don't think less of yourself. You just think of yourself less. And when you connect with this ultimate purpose for your life, the, your life becomes more than you could have ever dreamed it could be because God blesses us so that we can be a blessing. Let me show, show you what I'm talking about. And this scripture that I'm about to read actually didn't come from, it wasn't written like directly to the church. It was written to the pastor of a church to then deliver to his congregation. So just keep that in mind as we read this. It says, to teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money because it's unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. So in other words, don't put your trust in money because it's going to let you down. Has anybody ever been let down by money? Just as soon as it seems secure, something happens. <laughs> but even when you have money, you need to put your trust in God because he's always going to provide everything you need for your enjoyment. Sometimes you can provide for yourself and have a big provision maybe, but you're not enjoying it. But when God provides it, it's enjoyable. I love that it says for our enjoyment because like you can take a deep breath and, and realize that God didn't say that you can never enjoy anything that he gives you, which is also a common belief in the church. Some of the stuff that he gives you is for you to enjoy, but not everything he gives you is for you to enjoy because take a look. It says, tell them to use their money to do good and they should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. In other words, you're blessed to be a blessing. And when you live this kind of life, the reward's crazy. goes on to say, by doing this, they'll be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future that they may experience true life. So you're sowing seeds for your future, and you're laying the foundation for the kind of life that most people want, but never experience. Yes, all of us are going to experience true life in heaven, but I really believe that God wants us to experience true life here, now. And it all starts by being ready to share with others. It all starts with generosity. Actually, a lack of generosity is a sign that you don't know God, which kind of makes sense if we take a look at those three steps. To get to step three, you first have to know God. So it's a little hard to take that truth, but let me show you what I mean. And this is found in the book of Titus, which is another one of those letters that Paul wrote to a pastor named Titus. And Paul writes, such people claim that they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. They are detestable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. 
ouch, like this is harsh. And I'm really glad that Paul said it so I don't have to. (laughs) These aren't my words. These are Paul's words. I'm just reading the Bible up here, y'all. But if you keep reading, Paul actually gives Timothy the antidote to this problem. It says, and you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. So in our context right here, this is my job. As a leader of this church, I got to be an example to you by doing good works of every kind. And then there's something else I need to do. Remind the believers to be always ready to do what is good. So that's the whole purpose of this series. I'm here to remind you that life is not all about you. Actually, if you want to live your best life, then it needs to be about others. We all need to separate ourselves from culture, which teaches us that life should be all about me, like getting me satisfied and taking care of my needs. And we have to forcefully push away the selfishness because it's coming at you from every angle and live our life for others. You know what? This is apparently like really hard to get because take a look at this. It's mentioned again in Titus. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to insist on these teachings so that all those who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. And then again, our people must learn to, by meeting the urgent needs of others, then they will not be unproductive. Wow. You know what this tells me? We're not going to get it the first time. You're not going to get it the first time, neither am I. So a couple weeks after this series is over, you might just find yourself living for yourself again. And I'm going to do my best to set the example for you guys and to remind you to do good. So about a month from now, I'm probably going to get up here and ask you guys, what have you all been doing for others lately? And many of us are going to be like, oh yeah, that's what I was supposed to be doing. (laughs) And then at some point, we're all going to get it and it's going to become a habit in our lives. But just brace yourself because I'm not going to hesitate to remind you. Do good. So let's break this down into three simple questions, because I don't want you to leave today without knowing how to devote your life to doing good. And hang with me, because these questions are going to seem really obvious. Like, I'm not stupid. They seem really obvious. Nevertheless, all these three questions, though, like we need to ask ourselves, even though they seem obvious. And the first one is, why should I do good? And you're probably thinking, well, duh, because the people need it and because God told us to, right? But you know what? Doing these things out of obligation never seems to have the impact that God intended it to have. Doing good only because you were told to do it also doesn't bring the joy that we talked about earlier. But here's why we do good. Because doing good is God's purpose for me, for you. It's why we're alive. It's the plan that God had for us since before we were even born. This is our calling to do good. In the church, you'll often hear it said, like, I'm, I'm just seeking God's plan for my life. Like, I, I feel him calling me to something big. I just don't know what it is yet. It's, we talk about it like it's some kind of mysterious destination, right? And most of the time, we think that the only ones called by God are the pastors or the worship leaders or, or you know, those kind of people. But get this, your calling is sitting right next to you. They're in your small group. You work with them. And you're going to see them at the restaurant today when you go to lunch. Your calling is all around you. Please don't make it any more complicated than that. It is that simple. You can leave today just as called to the ministry as I am right now, standing up here talking to you. Because check this out. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You see, you're a masterpiece. You're unique. Your, your abilities are unique. Your giftings are unique. There's things that you can do that you're really good at 
And sure, there's things that you do that you're not good at, but there's those things that just click, that just make sense to you, that may not make sense to other people around you. And that's what you bring to the world around you. You're not here by accident. You're here on purpose. It doesn't matter what your mom and dad said about how you got here. You're here on purpose and you have a purpose. And you're gifted and you're called and you have a purpose to do good works. And God planned all of these things for you long ago. In other words, when you're out doing good, you are fulfilling exactly what God called you to do since before you were even born. So you're walking in like this divine, supernatural plan for your life when you're out doing good. And that's why it feels so good. That's why it feels so right. Because you're in this supernatural plan for your life when you're doing things as simple as doing good. You see, it's really that simple. We're, we're here to represent Jesus. And the only way we can represent Jesus is to go about, what did Jesus do? He went about doing good. We, we just follow his example and we do that same exact thing. So have y'all ever been to Sam's Club on a Saturday? And like maybe, maybe you skipped lunch because you knew they'd have all those samples. You don't have to hide. We know who you are. <laughs> you see, these people handing out samples are there like to give you a taste because chances are if you can just taste what it is, you'll, you'll buy what it is that they're selling. And you know what? This is exactly who we are. We're, we're living our lives to give people samples of Jesus. Taste and see that the Lord is good, right? Now, please don't set up a table outside of Sam's and give away samples of Jesus. Like, that's probably not going to work too well. Just simply live your life doing the good things to those people around you. Seriously, guys, stop overcomplicating it and stop making it such a big deal. Making an impact for the kingdom is as simple as going about and doing good. Which leads us to the second question, where should I do good? Well, you already know Sam's Club is an answer, right? And it really seems like a silly question to ask this, but the thing is, like most of us unknowingly save all of our good works for good places. Like we'll do good when we're at church, or we'll do good when we go to Mexico, or we'll do good the next time that Cade organizes a community outreach. Well, it's time for the church to get out of the church. You see, we got to take like all of this compassion and joy that we share here at church, and we got to take it into our workplaces and into the grocery store and into our schools. Because when you're here at church, yeah, I want you to do good here. Like, don't just come here to get something for you. Come here to be a blessing to somebody else. And get out of your comfort zone and maybe encourage somebody who you see, like, sitting that looks like they had a hard week. Just, it's uncomfortable, but go up and say, doing okay? Join one of our teams and serve in the way that God's gifted you. And then when you're at work, do good there, too. Like, don't just drag in and then run out. Put your happy pants on and make the most of your day. Be kind and smile to your coworkers, even those that like annoy the fire out of you and that you could care, care less for, right? Reach out to that person that's having a hard time with life at work by maybe buying them a coffee because they, they may just need to know that somebody notices them. And when you're at the grocery store, do good. Don't curse under your breath at that person that's blocking the aisle. Like just take the long way around and be like, thank you, Lord, for these extra steps, Right? <laughs> And then when you're at home, do good. And all the husbands and wives say, amen, amen. there's an idea. Why don't you do some good at home, right? Yeah. <laughs> this all seems really obvious and really simple, and it is. Because living out your purpose is not complicated. And let me just tell you all a story about how Jesus' disciples went about doing good after Jesus had gone back to heaven. 
It's found in Acts 3. It says, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. By the way, we're going to go ahead and start one of those three o'clock prayer. No, I'm just playing. So in other words, Peter and John, here they are on their way to church. And as they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate so that he could beg from the people going into the temple. So here they are walking into the church, and they're walking by this, this man who has bum feet and bum ankles, like the guy couldn't stand, the guy couldn't walk, and that's how he was born. And he had lived his whole life this way, and every day he went outside the temple to beg for money. You know, the church people were just kind of walking by him. So of course he asked Peter and John for money as well, and let, let's see how they responded. Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold to give you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ of the Nazarene, get up and walk. And then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. You see, Peter didn't give money to the guy. He had something else to give. He gave him a helping hand. And because of that, Jesus showed up and he did the supernatural and healed the man. I want you to notice that. Like, it says, and as he did, like, that's when the guy's feet and ankles were... As as Peter helped him up, that's when his feet and ankles were healed. That's what Peter could do. Peter could help the guy up. Peter couldn't heal him, but Jesus could. So sometimes we just have to put an action with our faith, and then amazing things happen. But you see, doing good is so much more than just giving money. You see, I'm looking at everyone right now, and you all seem to have a face. I, I can't find anybody without one. And that means we can all give a smile. And really, seriously, like that, something that simple could change somebody's life, could change somebody's day, that you noticed them and gave them a smile and looked them in the eye. We all have the ability to help someone up. We can all do that. And when we combine this simple action with our faith, that's when Jesus will show up and take care of the supernatural and heal whatever it is in their life, just like he did with Peter and John. But when you're compelled to help somebody by giving money, by all means, do it. But never miss a chance to do good, even when somebody is asking for money, but you have something else to give. Because it's the little good things that you do every day that are important to Jesus. You may think he only pays attention when you do something big, like go to Mexico, or like pastor a church, or something like that. But he sees all the small things that you do. The question is, why is it so easy to overlook these things? I don't think that we're bad people for overlooking opportunities to do good. I think we're just living our life in too much of a hurry. Because you see, hurry is the enemy of love. It's kind of like when you're on an airplane, like flying to your destination, and you look out your window, and you see a city. It's just a little, little dot down there. And before you know it, it's gone. You didn't see people. You didn't see faces. It was just kind of a blur. Because you're going so fast, like so high, you're just like focused on your destination. And this is how we tend to live our lives. We fly into the grocery store and we fly out. And we totally miss that person that just needed somebody to pay attention to them. And then we rush to work and we rush home. And we rush through dinner and we rush to get the kids bathed and to bed. And in the hustle, we miss an opportunity to meet an essential need of our kids, which is to give them our undivided attention. So how do you reprogram yourself to slow down? Well, a good place to start is by keeping your phone in your pocket when you have those moments of quiet throughout your day. You know, like when you're sitting at a stoplight? I don't know about you guys, but I like have to fight this urge to like, I got like 30 seconds here. I can like do something on my phone, right? (laughs) But instead of doing that, just keep your phone in your pocket and just kind of look around at the people next to you and just kind of wonder, like, I wonder where they work. I wonder if they have any kids or 
I wonder why they look like they're having such a hard day. Or why are they smiling all the time? Like, that's weird. Have you guys ever seen those people? See, I like to like sit at the stoplight and like as the people are like turning left, like in front of you, you know, and just watch them. Most everybody's just like, mm, especially in the morning. But you get that random person that's just like smiling. And you're like, what are you smiling at? It's, I need to live my life like that. It's so awesome. And then like when you're, when you're at the restaurant or like in the drive-thru, just keep your phone in your pocket and just kind of like smile and say hi to the people that walk by. Like it's going to weird them out. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. And then when you're at home, just go ahead and leave your phone in the other room. Yes, I'm attacking your phone today because it's, it's the, maybe I should have put your phone as the enemy of love. No, <laughs> that might've been the right, the right slide there. Just keep it in the other room and just be available. Like for the, those of us with little kids, it's really as simple as just, yeah, if you have your phone out in church, go ahead and put it away and just, no, I'm just playing with you, man. <laughs> I just, I saw talent hit you and I had to take advantage of that. <laughs> but yeah, when you're at home, put your phone on the table because your kids just need you to lay on the floor so they can crawl over you. That's all they want to do. And your spouse just needs you to sit over there on the couch and be available for conversation in case one sparks up. Or you may just sit there in quiet, and that's okay. If it's the wife waiting on the husband, you'll probably sit in quiet. Other way around, you'll get near a fool, right? <laughs> that reminds me of something that happened in small group last week, but I'll keep it on the hush-hush. don't want to embarrass you guys. <laughs> But it was between Tim and Darla, so if you want to know that story, go ahead and ask. Tim's looking at me like he doesn't remember, but I can promise you Darla remembers that conversation. Because <laughs> look at this, 1 Corinthians 10.24 says, Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. And I'm not trying to make you feel bad or guilty, because you know what? Guilt is not a productive emotion. I'm simply saying, you, you're off mission. You're going the wrong direction. The good life, it's over here by doing good for others. God needs us to do good, not just on Sunday mornings, but every single day of our lives. And here's the third question. How should I do good? You see, when you, say, when you say yes to Jesus and you receive his forgiveness, you dedicate your life to him, the Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of you. This is God's gift to you. And the Holy Spirit's there to give you direction, to give you promptings, kind of give you those little nudges to let you know, go that direction, not that direction. He's there to warn you and to guide you and to keep, away, keep you away from the things that are going to hurt you. And he's there as a companion and a source of peace and strength. Like the Holy Spirit is all of those things. So knowing that, like, how do we do good? Well, we do good however the Spirit leads me. And don't make this like over-spiritual or too fancy. It can be as simple as you taking a moment to say, Holy Spirit, is there anything you would like me to do while I'm here? And then just take a moment to listen. And you're not listening for an audible voice. You're listening for that little thought that kind of just pops in your mind and you know it wasn't yours. And sometimes it's just like a yearning, kind of like down in your gut. See, a few months ago, it hit me that there was kind of like nobody in my life that didn't know Jesus. Because I, I'm surrounded by church people, so everybody already knows Jesus. But I had this desire to just find somebody that I could pray for and that I could just be love, like on purpose. And I couldn't come up with anybody on my own. So I asked the Holy Spirit, and before I even like got the whole question, Holy Spirit, who would you efface flashes before my eyes of somebody that I barely even know, somebody that I hadn't seen in months? It was so quick. And I tell you this story to show you how simple it is to hear from the Holy Spirit. Yes, it's a spiritual encounter, but it's not like some spooky interaction. Ooh, the Holy Spirit's here. It actually seems fairly normal, yet supernatural all at the same time. 
He may speak to you in visuals, or he may speak to you by just a calm knowing that just kind of appears in your mind, or it may be that strong discerning that you can feel in your gut, which is probably what Beth experienced this morning whenever she woke up. And I imagine that all of you have experienced at least one of these things, if not all three, but you just didn't know that it was the Holy Spirit trying to lead you. So it's like that time that you were sitting at home and like just some random person just like comes to your mind and then you're like, I should text them and encourage them or I should give them a call. Did you do it? Maybe yes, maybe no, sometimes yes, sometimes no. But now that you know this is the Holy Spirit trying to lead you, I bet you'll be more prompt to follow those things and those moments in your life. So let's do this. Like, let's start listening to those promptings and acting on those promptings. And let's even ask for the Holy Spirit to do these things in our lives. Because it's time for the church to rise up and be the church by doing good. In the midst of all this hatred and violence, it's not time to just stand up and gripe at all the people who have an opposing view of us. It's time for a group of people to stand up and do what? Do good. Church isn't about how good our services are. It's not about, like, having goosebumps in worship. It's not even about how many times that we feel the power of God in our services. You see, the purpose of the church is to do good to everyone, everywhere. And until we get this down, until we're all doing this in our daily lives, there's, there really is no other discussion that we need to have. And doing good isn't something that we do out of obligation or because we feel guilty or because Kate told us to or because God told us to. Like, that's not why we do it. The reason we do it is because it's our calling. And we have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us that's leading us and empowering us to do these things. So go ahead and fist bump your neighbor right now and just say, we're going to do this. We're going to do some good. We're going to do some good. Go ahead and bow your heads with me. Lord, we, we honor you and we praise you. And, and Lord, we ask, uh, first of all, for your forgiveness, for us going about living our lives just focused on ourselves. Lord, we thank you that the truth has been revealed and We thank you that you're empowering us and that you're leading us into the things that you've called us to do. God, we thank you for the amazing calling and the purpose that's on our lives. Lord, we're not going to downplay it. We're not going to downplay those simple interactions one-on-one with people that you've ordained for us to do long ago. There's nothing too small. We're going to go about our lives doing good. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you continue to speak to us and that you help us to follow those promptings. And give us more of them. Give us practice. We need practice, Lord. We want to do this. Lord, we love you. Lord, use this group. Use No Limits Church as a group that just rises up to do good and to be your church in our community, in our workplaces, in our schools. In Jesus' name, amen.